Hi there, welcome to Multiple Sclerosis Breaking It Down, a podcast by the MS Trust and you're joined today by myself, I'm Nick and my colleague Helena. Hey Helena. Hi, um, we're here today, uh, we both work at the charity the MS Trust, which is a charity here in the UK, uh, for people affected by MS uh, and we are here to hopefully help you make some sense of uh, multiple sclerosis. Yeah, for sure. And on our pod, uh, we aim to talk to lots of different voices, not only from the MS community, but also from featured experts as well, to cover all the different aspects of how MS can impact your life. So we aim to provide an in-depth insight on things like MS symptoms, management, uh, treatment, and everything in between. And today we're going to give uh, a bit of a focus to bladder problems in MS. Um, bladder issues are very common in multiple sclerosis. Uh, it's thought that around 75 out of 100 people with MS experience them. Uh, bladder problems can be divided into two types, uh, those relating to storage of urine and those relating to emptying of urine. Uh, and some people uh, experience a combination of these two symptoms. Um, to go into this a little bit more, I'm going to uh, just read from our A to Z uh, from our website, uh, because it's worth pointing out that me and Nick are not uh, medical experts, uh, but we do have a website that is thoroughly researched by uh, a bunch of really clever people, and all the uh, information is uh, checked several times, too, so it is correct. So uh, problem storing your urine, which is called sort of urgency and frequency. Um, I say storage problem can cause you to feel a sudden urge to go to the toilet often, which is obviously urgency, uh, and the need to for the to toilet very, to go to the toilet very often, which is frequency. Uh, and this can happen during the day and night. And uh, bladder accidents may also happen where bladder control uh, is lost and urine leaks out. Uh, problems emptying your bladder, which we can talk about hesit hesitancy, intermittency and retention, um, which are emptying problems that can result in such uh, symptoms as your urine flow being slow or interrupted, which is intermittency. It's taking longer than normal to start passing urine, which is hesitancy or feeling like your bladder hasn't completely emptied, which is retention. Yeah, and with, with some of these symptoms, I know it's, you know, you know, they can be painful as well, but also what mm. we hear about a lot is actually the huge impact that these symptoms can have on people's lives. So some people might, you know, they might avoid going out, yeah. and they might miss out on important social events or activities because they're worried about these problems. And we also do hear about people who also actually struggle to to maintain work, to be able to go yeah. in and have employment because, you know, people are worried about constantly needing the toilet or interrupting yeah. their, their work. Maybe they do a job where they have to be on all the time, you know, so yeah. it, it can have those knock on effects. And yes, yeah, so you know, we not only hear about the, the problems with the symptoms, but also the, the feelings attached to that as well. So a lot of people we know, get in contact with us and they're feeling embarrassed, maybe they're a bit uncomfortable, um, you know, you do want to talk about bladder problems. Um, often, you know, it's it's one of those those things that people, you know, one of those sen sensitive topics that can almost feel, you know, taboo in some situations. 
and maybe you might be in that situation maybe you haven't started to have these conversations with the people around you or maybe even your health professionals too um, but you know health professionals have such a good understanding of what you're going through and actually they're the people to start your journey with and they you know no matter how embarrassing you might feel at that point you know they've probably heard your symptoms from hundreds of people you know it's the sort of second nature for for a lot of the health professionals so it's also worth noting that with information with with support with um treatment lots of bladder problems can be successfully managed and actually those sort of impacts that you might have on your daily life or your working life can be managed as well mm, i remember when I went to an event once with, uh, with a neurologist and we were talking about things that people with MS were worried about uh, in the future, potentially progressive uh, problems. And there was somebody there talked about uh, that they were worried about having bladder problems. And he said he got so felt so upset about that, but because he felt like, you know, there are so many of these bladder problems that can actually be treated and that that we shouldn't have to worry about these things but because people don't go and talk about it then people live with these problems um when they actually potentially could be helped um your ms nurse is a great place to start um like nick said you know the, the these people have heard about uh the problems in and out in their daily you know daily work uh because like we said at the start of us 75 out of 100 people with ms have these issues so you know, they will have heard about it. Um, but, you know, saying that, it's easy, it's all easy for us to sit here and say, yeah, go and talk about this, no problem. You know, I, I've struggled with some bladder problems and it took me a long, 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 long time before I started talking to my MS nurse about it because, it, you know, there is a stigma attached to it. So I can really sympathise with people who find this a bit of a struggle. Yeah, 100%. And, it's, you know, I think we're moving towards a place where some of these situations are more normalized, aren't we? I would say in society, but it's still, we know from the people who get in contact with us that actually they're saying they've been on this journey, like similar to you, Helena, when it's taken them a long time mm. to get to the point where they feel comfortable having that conversation with a health professional. So, you know, I guess the good news side of things is that, as you were saying, Helena, there's loads of ways to treat or prevent bladder problems. So in today's episode, we are going to talk to an specialist nurse and she is going to walk us through some of the approaches that you might be able to take on in your life so that you can better uh, manage and understand your bladder problems. So without further ado, I think we'll jump into our interview with Grace. Hello everyone, uh, today we are going to be talking a little bit, well I say a little bit actually, you've been sending in loads and loads of questions about bladder, we were really impressed by the amount of questions we've been getting, so we've got a busy, busy time ahead now, so we, we've got ourselves um, somebody to talk to about bladder issues and this is uh, MS nurse specialist um, Grace, but I'll, I'll let you introduce yourself and then I think we'll start off with all the questions. I'm Grace Hasler and I'm an I work in Hertfordshire. To start off, people have been wondering, how are bladder issues diagnosed and investigated um, if, if people sort of suspect that they have them? What, what can people expect to happen? Okay, so when you initially see your MS nurse, she's probably going to ask you some questions about your bladder and bowel. 
Um, so it's really important to take quite a detailed history to assess what sort of symptoms you're experiencing. Um, part of that, we might ask you to keep some bladder charts so we can see how often you're going. Um, so most people would go between four and seven times in the day. So if you're going a lot more often than that or even less frequently than that, that may be an indication in um, again, with your symptoms about what the possible cause of, of the bladder problem is. Um, if you're getting up a lot at night, that's a good indication um, and usually something that we can manage. Then we do things like um, a bladder scan to make sure that your bladder is holding enough urine and in order to check that your bladder is doing properly. Um, we could refer you on to see maybe um, a continent specialist um, and get a bladder scan taken and also they might do a physical examination so vaginal examination um, sometimes with the men we will refer to the GP to do a prostate examination um, we would test your urine as well to see if there's any infection or if you're dehydrated um, sometimes we might ask a urologist to see you if we're concerned about your kidney function. That can often show up if you have some blood tests taken. So we might want to check to see if you have any stones, for example. There are more specialist tests, again, which the urologist would do. There's something called a cystoscopy, where he has a look in your bladder, he or she, sorry, would have a look in your bladder with a little camera just to see if there's anything abnormal there. And there are also some more specialist tests called urodynamics, where we artificially fill your bladder and look at the pressure in the muscle. And then we get you to empty your bladder to see how strong that contraction is when you're emptying. So some of them are a bit more invasive than others, but we would always start with the basic assessment keeping some charts, testing your urine, maybe getting some bloods done. And then if necessary, we'd refer you on for the more specializations. So you get like a full bladder. Yeah, there's a lot more to it. <laughs> yeah, and especially your, your symptoms are going to guide us very much um, as to what road we're going to take. So we're obviously going to start off with the least invasive. We quite often hear about pelvic floor exercises. So certainly as a, as a woman who's been pregnant twice, I, I know they were telling me about them then, but we hear more and more people talk about how important they are. Uh, but how important are they actually in sort of managing bladder function? And could you talk us through some of the exercises? Yeah, um, definitely very important because your pelvic floor is actually doing an awful lot of work. It's supporting your bladder, your vagina and your bowel um so what i generally do there are lots of regimes out there but what i generally recommend is actually locating the pelvic floor is the most important thing in the first place because often you see people and shoulders and everything are moving and you're not really exercising the correct muscles so it's basically a squeeze and a lift around the vagina and if you can, a squeeze and a lift around the back passage as if you were trying to stop yourself from passing wind. And if you can squeeze and lift and hold for a second, 
that will stimulate what we call a fast twitch muscle. So when you cough, sneeze, laugh, that's the one that kicks in quickly. But then we also want to build some endurance into that muscle. So if you can squeeze and lift, it's a very gentle movement and see how many seconds you can hold it for. A lot of the exercises will say hold for 10, 20 seconds. Most of us, when we start doing these exercises, we're probably two or three seconds. So I just say work up, work it out for yourself and then fit it in whenever you can. I, I don't think that many people will be, you know, doing 20 sets a day. So it's when you um, put the kettle on, for example, just do a few. So try and do both types of exercises, the quick ones, squeeze, lift, release. And then the longer ones where you squeeze and you lift and see how many seconds you can hold it on for. So doing anything is better than doing nothing. And just make it a habit. You know, when you sit down at your computer, just do a few. It's almost like one of those things like build in, like why you brush your teeth. We get told from a very early stage that we should be brushing our teeth for our dental health. And it's it's the similar kind of approach, isn't it? Exactly. While you're brushing your teeth, do your pelvic muscle exercises at the same time. <laughs> Two for one. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of multitasking. Yeah. Yeah, just fit it into whatever you do regularly through the day. Just think, I'll just do a, a quick few exercises while I th think about it. And are there any sort of similar exercises for men to do? Yeah, very, very similar. So with men, I would often say try and look in the mirror. So what you will see, if you're squeezing and lifting in the right place, you see a slight lift around the genital area. So as you know that you're doing the right muscle and again around the back passage it's a squeeze and a lift and it'd be pretty pretty much the same regime excellent and um, here's a here's a thing that i i find quite interesting because we're talking about you know training these muscles but can you also actually train your bladder to 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 hold more urine you you can do absolutely and often um there's a regime called bladder retraining so we can easily get into the habit of um, passing urine when um, just in case so the more you pass urine the less able your bladder is to hold urine so what I would generally say again this is where your charts come really um, invaluable information because you can see at what points of the day your bladder is behaving the worst and also if you keep your fluid intake you can see if it's related to that so what instead of um getting up and passing urine the minute you feel that urge if you can stay sat down and see if you can time how long it takes for that urge to go away and then gradually start expanding that time to give your bladder greater capacity because it will fill up more and more. So the, the smaller volumes you get, the more frequent you're going to get because your bladder is a muscle and it does need to expand. Your, your bladder is a muscle, so you need to work it. You need to imagine that that's your bladder. When it's filling, it should remain nice and relaxed. Then you've got a sphincter here. Men have two sphincters and it's surrounded by a prostate. 
So you're letting that bladder stay nice and relaxed as it fills up and it will gradually, gradually stretch. When it gets about halfway full, it will send a message to your brain saying, I need to empty, you need to start looking for a toilet. Sometimes people don't get that message and that's when they get this very urgent and frequent need to pass urine. And then your instinct is to get up and go. So what we're trying to do is allow that bladder to fill up a little bit more, a little bit more. So a normal bladder capacity is anywhere between roughly 300 to 500 mils. So it can actually hold a, a fairly decent amount. And then when you get to the toilet, we want the bladder to contract down and we want that sphincter to open up and then you pass urine. So we, what we're trying to do is get your bladder to function as a storage organ so as it can store that urine. And then it also we want it to eliminate when we want it to. So by doing this bladder retraining in conjunction with your charts, you can see if that's going to help. It's really interesting. But I would do pelvic floor at the yeah. same time. So you kind of correlate both trends. Yeah. It, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think since since we were small, we've always been told that kind of go to the toilet just in case. But actually, that's not very good then. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, sometimes you have to go just mm. in case. If you know you've got to go out, you could have a lot of anxiety. I mean, we probably all go for a, a quick wee before we go out the door <laughs> normally we want to go about every three to four hours in the day oh that's good reference okay yeah um so we talked a little bit about uh or you mentioned overactive bladders uh, so if you need the, the lube urgently frequently mm. um are there any treatments for it and if there are any drugs are they actually effective there are medications so they're called anticholinergics or you might hear them referred to as anti-muscarinics and what they do is they treat people with what we call an overactive bladder so when you've got that urgency and frequency and what they do is they block the uh, nerve impulse can have a lot of side effects so you do need to be aware and there's certain conditions where you can't um, be prescribed them so if you've got blurring of vision because sometimes they can dry the eyes um, they can cause constipation um, a dry mouth and sometimes because we're getting them to relax the bladder they can actually send you into retention of urine there are alternative medications that can be used and it's usually under the supervision of a urologist or a urogynecologist um, some of the antidepressants antispasmodics sometimes they might use um, botox injections into the bladder and then after that you're getting into much more specialist um treatments which we probably won't touch upon today because they're more of the surgical so i would say if you're going for the first line medications usually we'll start you on a very small dose um, and that's to help manage any potential side effects even if you start on these medications i would still do the bladder retraining and pelvic muscle exercises look at things like constipation and look at your fluid intake and that's why a holistic assessment right at the start before you start doing any of these interventions is really important how much water should or fluid not just water should we be drinking a day because i see so many conflicting messages on this 
the average i think is 1.5 to 2 liters a day i would say is probably adequate to maintain your hydration and obviously the type of fluids that you take because a lot of fluids can irritate the bladder as well such as caffeine but you know stick to a like three cups of tea is generally a, a relatively low caffeine intake and you know you've got to have some pleasure in life that's true i would be very sad if i couldn't drink any coffee at all <laughs> yeah yeah but you, you might have to time the coffee so you know you have it when you've got more energy in the morning or <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know um, you mentioned uh, Botox injections, and mm -hmm. we hear about this sometimes. How does it work, and, and is it actually available on the NHS in all areas? I'm not sure if it will be available in all areas. Mm -hmm. um, you'd need to check with your local urology service, um, but I would say it's probably fairly common that a centre near you would provide Botox. Um, basically how Botox works, it paralyzes the bladder muscle or the detrusor muscle um, to reduce the amount of activity, so to relax that bladder. Um, and then in the hope that it will reduce bladder spasms and subsequent leakage, um, it does have to be repeated approximately about every six to eight months because the effect will wear off. Um, and you're often taught um, to catheterize yourself. So an intermittent self-catheterization. So a urology nurse will, will teach you how to do that because sometimes the bladder will not therefore empty completely. And we want to prevent damage to the kidneys and prevent you getting recurrent urinary tract infections. But it is a, a very effective treatment. And, and it was what Botox was used for first, wasn't it? Before people started putting it in other places. <laughs> <laughs> Botox has many medical um, yeah. uses, which are some, some of them quite, quite surprising. So, yeah. yeah, they use it in people's eyes. They use it for sweating, all, all sorts of things. Yeah. yeah. Um, here's a, a symptom that uh, I... Um, feel very sort of familiar with myself and uh, that's nocturia which is when people get up several times during the night um to go to the toilet yeah. uh, what can be done about it if anything <laughs> okay i think the most important thing again um is going back to that initial assessment so Nocturia has actually been woken up at night to pass urine, which is different from nocturnal enuresis where you don't wake up. So it's kind of normal to get up maybe once or twice at night. That's considered, you know, with, within a, an acceptable range. Um, and it really depends on what is actually the underlying cause of that dysfunction? So in men, it could be something like a uh, prostate problem. You know, as men age, they can get some benign enlargement of the prostate. Um, overactive bladder, again, that can wake you up at night. Um, a urinary tract infection. Um, as we age, our heart and circulation isn't as efficient. And, you know, if you get swollen ankles in the day, you might find that when you elevate them at night, that makes your kidneys work a bit harder to offload that fluid. So 
elevating you know if you're an older person or you're not as mobile so just mm. elevating those feet at some point during the day you probably will find just something simple like that may help to reduce that waking up attic yeah. how good is your diabetic control if your sugars are very high sometimes that that can give you nocturia as well sleep disorders it's been associated with so people who maybe have sleep apnea they tend to wake up a lot and pass urine drinking too much in the evening again which is quite a simple thing some people go all day because they're busy and then mm. they take most of their fluids in the evening yeah. again that's where your charting makes you more mindful and more aware about what you're at what you are actually doing in the day um and some people and it's more common in children where they don't produce an antidiuretic hormone so they're producing the same amount of urine in the day um, and at night as well so sometimes there's some specialist treatments that you can have for that as well and that that's a medication that's interesting so yeah there are lots of things and all the base the kind of do's for that would be make sure that you're drinking the appropriate amount you know 1.5 to 2 liters a day avoiding alcohol mm -hmm. um, a moderate caffeine intake um, see your GP because it might be medication related you know like diuretics or some of the blood pressure pills mm. they can cause various um, problems and practice good sleep hygiene i know we do lots of leaflets um, under the fatigue management so making sure that you're comfortable in your bed you you, you know lights are not too yeah. bright not you know you haven't got a light that's shining in on you yeah. you know blackout curtains all those sort of simple things to do you know sometimes it's not always about um a dysfunction with your bladder but it can yeah. be an environmental thing as well you know and if you do need a commode or a bottle or something like that making sure that you've got that to hand yeah i think with myself i think it's often if i wake up because I, I do wait sleep quite badly and i wake up and as soon as i'm awake there's something that just tells me you need to go to the toilet even if i'm yeah. not like urgently needing it but it's like but well, you awake now you might as well because otherwise you'll wake up in an hour and you'll need the toilet and it's it, so i'm almost thinking it's more of a <laughs> of a sort of fixed idea rather than my bladder actually needing <laughs> Yeah, but very, very, very common. I think most yeah. of us, if you wake up in the night, you think, "Oh, I might as well go to the loo." Yeah, you know, and it can be it can be for any any of those sorts of reasons. So the yeah. treatments are really gonna depend on what what's the cause. Um, you know, stopping smoking would be a big one as well yeah. because you excrete a lot of the uh, bad stuff into your bladder. Smokers have an increased rate of um, bladder cancer as well. Yeah. So that's another. And weight management as well, good for the yeah. pelvic floor. If we're carrying quite a lot of weight, that mm. can have an impact as well. That makes sense. Um, what can be done for people who retain urine in their bladder? Um, again, various reasons why we can retain. Um, I think we touched upon in men, it could be an enlarged prostate. Mm. You can get um, tightenings on the urethra, which is the tube that we wee out of. Um, 
gynae problems as well sometimes if you're uh, if you have a, a prolapse you know either the front or the back vaginal wall sometimes because you've got your bladder at the front then you've got your vagina and your uterus and your bowel so sometimes if you haven't got that support the bladder can tilt back a little bit and then you've got a little sump of urine that you can't um evacuate your yeah your um can't empty your bladder properly um so yeah as i was saying depending on the reason it might be that you might be referred to a euro gynecologist for a repair pelvic floor repair or some sort of uh intervention depending what the actual cause of it some people you might want to go down the route of a catheter so there are various types of catheter um so firstly, it's probably clean, intimate and self-catheterisation. That's one option where you're taught how to catheterise by um, a urology nurse or one of your continence advisors. Um, urethral catheters or suprapubic catheters. So urethral, they're going, as I say, through the tube where you wee and help to empty the bladder super pubic is where you have um, a day case operation and the catheter is inserted just above your pubic bone and that takes about six to eight weeks for that channel to form properly and usually the first change is done in the uh, outpatients in the general hospital rather than the community but after that then the district nurses will take over and do the changes uh and when it comes to catheters, uh, like the you mentioned the intermittent catheters, how big are they? I mean, are they quite discreet? They are discreet. There are many companies that produce different types of catheters. Mm -hmm. Usually they are all now pre-lubricated, so you don't have to mess around. You can just open the packet pre-lubricated catheter some of them are the size of um, well I'll say slightly bigger than a lipstick it just depends which one that you're using some come with a bag attached others you can just put in your handbag um and and you know go go about your business really they are very very discreet nowadays how much training do you get with with using them because I, I see a lot of people being very scared of starting to use them because they just don't they feel like they wouldn't be able to get to grips with it themselves yeah um from my perspective i would say as much as as support as you need you'll probably get um <clears throat> excuse me one or two formal training sessions but if you need more then you need more and i think the first thing is you know have a mirror have a look get to know your own anatomy so some people have um, some blind ending tunnels so it might look like the urethra but it isn't but the nurse will be with you and she'll teach you through and usually just take as much time as you need to get the hang of it so i would say if you're trying to do it on your own and you really can't do it just give it five minutes don't sit there and think oh you, the more anxious you get the you know you, you can leave it it's not the end of the world you know just pick up the phone speak to one of the nurses and i'm sure they'll support you through that but once you've got it you've got it you know yeah it's, it's one of those 
in your experience, is there some sort of average time for, for how long people sort of start feeling confident in using them? It's a straight, hard question to answer, but. Well, I would say on, on average, probably two or three sessions and it and it just depends how long I mean I used to teach this many years ago I don't do it so much in my current role but most people would be quite confident but then I used to spend like at least an hour going over it doing a lot of explanation of showing them their own anatomy getting them to have a look um, so as long as you've got a lot of teaching and that person's making you feel relaxed because the more tense you are the more difficult it's going to be to feel relaxed enough to put that catheter in so it can be disconcerting but you know two to three sessions you know some people get it first time and they're like okay that's fine yeah but other people take longer so i wouldn't put any hard and fast rules on it no but you don't need to feel bad if you're not getting it right the first few times absolutely not and for some people it's just not for you yeah. you know some people for whatever reason just feel really uncomfortable with it and then you know we could we can look at alternatives yeah when it comes to catheters and and sex um do they get in the way because you were saying about especially intermittent catheters i guess you could just you know remove altogether but like the uh, the indwelling ones yeah i mean with, with an intermittent catheter you're literally putting it in draining the bladder and taking it away and that's one yeah. of the advantages so but you've got to have quite good hand movement or manual dexterity to be able to uh, insert the catheter so it is quite a skill um Generally, I would say if the catheter was for long-term use, we'd go for a suprapubic catheter. And that's got many sort of advantages because it is going to be out of the way and it's not going to interfere. Whereas if you've got a urethral catheter, it may be uncomfortable during intercourse. But um, a suprapubic really will not interfere. It's, it's out of the way. It's above your tummy. You can secure it. Um, it's good for people that maybe are wheelchair users because it can be more comfortable and more accessible. Um, you're not likely to damage the urethra because the indwelling catheters are held in by a little balloon. So you don't want any pressure put on that balloon or you can damage the urethra. You can get little clips now where you can secure the catheter so it's not putting any pressure on the actual catheter. So it's So they're really helpful. Um, and it's also with the suprapubic, it's generally easier to manage from a hygiene perspective because you can just clean around the site. Um, less risk of it getting kinked or pulled out by accident. Um, and there is less risk of getting urine infections with the CPPubic. So for longer term management, that is generally a better option. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, continence products. So there's there's quite a lot of these as well out there. I mean, I guess there's some on the market that you can buy. But mm -hmm. are there 
ones that are available on the NHS or, or do you have to buy them themselves? And here's a question that popped up. Are there any brands that are sort of better than, than others when it comes to this? Because there's suddenly we, we see quite a lot of this actually being advertised to us as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, generally, they're the same manufacturers who are supplying to the NHS that are available in the supermarkets. In the supermarkets, they've probably got some very nice um, pull-on knicker-type ones that look more like uh, normal underwear. They are quite expensive, so generally the NHS will not supply those. But the quality... Um, is is pretty high in the NHS. Um, you could speak to your continence advisor who can do an assessment to provide you with pads or your district nurse will do the assessment as well and order the pads. Most um, services will provide between three and four pads in a 24-hour period and it just depends on your needs. They could be quite a small pad or they could be a pad with a large absorbency. Um, but yeah, they, they are available on, on your NHS so you shouldn't really need to um, spend too much. You might wish to supplement them but also there are lots of other different products out there that you can use um, like bottles and shiwis. Some of them sometimes might be on prescription so it's worth doing, doing your research before you pay your money <laughs> to oh. find out if you can get it. Oh, that's, that's a really good tip. <laughs> Um, here's a question that we had sent in is it common for people with MS to also get cystitis okay um, I don't know the figures on this but generally I would say it's probably the same as the normal population I'm not sure why somebody with MS would be more prone to that um, some people call it bladder pain syndrome. So the symptoms can be very similar to having a urinary tract infection. Um, if you've got quite an intense pelvic pain, if you have urgency, frequency, getting up at night, um, pain in the lower tummy that gets worse as your bladder fills and is relieved by passing urine, all those can possibly be an indication that it's a what we call a bladder pain syndrome or an intercystitial cystitis rather than it being infection driven. Yeah. Um, we're not too sure why um, some people get a cystitis. It could be damage to the lining of the uh, bladder that affects the detrusor or the muscle or interferes with the um, nerves of the bladder? Is it to do with pelvic floor weakness? Or is it to do with your immune system where there's some sort of inflammatory reaction occurring? So as far as I'm aware, I don't think there is one particular test, but it, again, it will be going back to that holistic assessment. Um, you'd probably be referred to a urologist to have a look at that, if that's what they thought. So they'd want to do a cystoscopy, so have a look inside your bladder and all the routine stuff, such as testing your urine, doing an ultrasound of your urinary tract to make sure that everything's okay there. And they'd probably do some vaginal swabs as well 
just to make sure that there's there's no infection um again all the usual stuff don't smoke <laughs> because sometimes the the irritants in tobacco can make things worse also some people find that the symptoms can wax and wane so they come and they go so it's worth maybe keeping a diary of your food and your fluids yeah. to see is there anything there that's triggering these symptoms because sometimes it can be that you're reacting to something that's causing an inflammatory response yeah. cutting out certain food and certain fluids may help to ease the symptoms it's things like taking over the counter pain medication such as paracetamol um, sometimes the uh, urologist will then think about being prescribed medication for nerve pain. They may also give you um, an anticholinergic or antimuscarinic to see if that helps with the urgency and frequency. Sometimes they give you a medicine to block histamine. So it can be like you're producing this histamine like an allergic reaction. So they give you medication to see if that's the problem. Um, there are some more specialists prescribing, which is not my area of expertise. And you need to speak to a urologist about. Um, they will do some installations in in your bladder of various things such as antibiotics maybe botox um and then again we're talking about more highly specialist possible potential surgeries if that was appropriate are there any tips for preventing utis are there any sort of food supplements or anything like that could help you we sometimes hear about uh, cranberry juice does that really work Sometimes they can. Um, I think if you've got symptoms of a urinary tract infection, such as increased urgency, frequency, pain, stinging, burning, smelly or cloudy urine, the best thing is to actually see your GP, take an early morning midstream specimen of urine and ask them to send that off to the lab often what they will do is prescribe you an antibiotic and it's what we call a broad spectrum antibiotic so it kills we know that e coli is the most common um, bacteria comes from the bowel gets into the bladder and causes the infection the reason i say to take the specimen because if once that's sent off to the lab it will tell us exactly what's growing so if you take your course of antibiotics and you've still got symptoms it may be that actually we need to give you a further course of antibiotics um again it's doing things like making sure that you are drinking enough um also menopause it might be that you need to see your GP and get some oestrogen cream um, prescribed. Um, avoiding anything that is highly perfumed products. Um, the D mannose and the cranberry. So cranberry is thought to work by um, acidifying the urine, and bacteria don't like to grow in an acidic environment. The D mannose. I think that works by um, stopping E. coli from sticking to the lining of the bladder. And the bladder is quite um, clever in the fact that we get urgency and frequency, 
so when you wee you're peeing out all the bacteria so um you know i think d-manners will stop the bacteria adhering to the lining of the bladder wall so you're, you're weighing out more more of those bacteria um whether they i think they're probably more of a preventative measure so to stop you getting urinary tract infections i think if you're symptomatic you you're going to need a course of antibiotics i'd always say to go to your gp you, you can use it to reduce the the amount of infections that you're you're getting potentially um they probably do need more research into how you know exactly how effective they are but certainly i've had a lot of feedback from patients that it has reduced their number of urinary tract infections but just to say it's probably not going to if you've already got an infection it's not going to treat it yeah so that's when you need to see your gp we mentioned this at the start a little bit about people feeling quite anxious about uh, bladder problems and and this might actually stop you getting out and about and doing things because people just think that oh I'm, i don't know where i'm going to if that has a toilet or or if i'm going to wet myself if i'm on my way somewhere um how can people actually reduce their anxiety around around these things because it can be it can be really tricky so i think it's things like you know you can get a wait card and you just put it into your purse and uh if you're if you're going out and about and there's a big queue for the ladies you can just flash your card rather than having to say anything i think um various different charities will will give you the card um having a radar key for access to the disabled toilets um looking at maybe other products you know your pads are there you know making sure that you've, you've got a spare pad maybe a spare pair of knickers or you know a change i know it sounds like a little bit of a palaver but it might just give you that confidence that you know even if the worst happens and you have an accident you can get yourself together while, while you're out so you know spare pair of underwear um and also you know doing your doing your treatments, doing your bladder training, your pelvic muscle exercises, um, knowing where you're going, planning your route, because yeah. I guarantee that most people who've got a bladder problem, they will know where every toilet is on yeah. the route. So they're actually very handy people to know. <laughs> That's good. So the last question we had was, can um, Emma's bladder problems be masking? We've just lost conditions? that connection for the last question. It doesn't want to... Yeah reconnect so was it the last question can ms bladder yeah. problems be masking other comorbidities yeah um i think really if you've got any urinary symptoms make sure that you do discuss it with a healthcare professional um and that we then refer you on to have a proper assessment i don't think it's necessarily that the ms is masking anything but i think we do have to be careful not to blame everything on the ms because it can be um something that's completely unrelated to to your ms so i think the assessments would be pretty much the same regardless of any comorbidities so always best to talk to your health professionals yeah yeah make sure you have a good assessment you know don't let people say to you, oh well that's it's inevitable because of your ms because it isn't 
because as we've discussed today there's lots of treatments out there you know sometimes we are our best own detective you know we we know how our body feels and um when something's wrong you know we are the most reliable person to assess that um as far as sort of co comorbidities you know bladder cancer again is more common in people that smoke if you've got blood in your urine that's something that i would be looking to refer you on urgently i think we're having a bit of struggles with connection but this this been really really useful grace thank you so much for for helping us out with all the questions today if this was a commercial podcast here is where there would be an advert but as we're a charity we don't do that. So instead, this is our time and opportunity to tell you all about our fantastic resources for people with MS. Sure. So our website is a great place to start. So that's mstrust.org.uk. And on there, you're going to find loads of information, lots of different resources for people affected by MS. So we do have a whole section on there, which is linked to bladder problems. And we also have uh, a book which you can order for free, either in physical or as a digital download. That's called Managing Your Bladder. So you can find these links in the show notes as well. We'll make sure we pop them down there. And also, if you, you know, once you're on the website, if you're not sure where to look, if you just type in bladder in the search bar there, you'll find lots of content there. And of course, if you are impacted by any other symptoms or you want to find out more about treatments or you know look at some stories from other people who are living with MS, you can find that all on our website too. So do head over there. It's, again, it's mstrust.org.uk. I'd just like to point out, uh, as I said at the very end of, of, of um, my recording with Grace, that we were having some huge problems with, with um, uh, connection. I think... Uh, she she was struggling to hear what i said and it was a little bit of a delay so so some of it towards the end there was cutting out but i i really found it so interesting to talk to her and it, it again really shows how much there is to do with bladder problems i feel like there's so many people that just kind of think oh well it's just the way of life you know i'm getting older or you know i have M so i have ms and i i need to just live with this but but clearly there is stuff to to, to be done um, so I feel like it's it's so important to 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 talk about this. So I'm really pleased um, that we recorded this uh, this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I know when she was talking about some of this, like the pelvic floor exercises and stuff, I was like full disclosure. I should have had a go at some of those as well. Like when she was talking <laughs> yes. about them. Um, so no, I think having her insight was great. And actually, again, she went a long way to kind of saying that these are very common problems you know a lot of these things uh, you know they're very common in ms but also some of these symptoms can happen to other people who don't live with ms as well something like you know the frequent waking um, yeah. and that there are there are solutions out there you know they're pre preventative measures but there's also solutions yeah. as well if you are experiencing those things but i find it so interesting this with pelvic floor exercises because as more as we talk to bladder experts we've interviewed some other people as well and everybody's you know talking about the importance of doing this early on like before you're starting having problems because so many people if you have ms or not you are going to end up having you know weaker muscles down there and it's going to you know potentially lead to bladder problems i have apart from being pregnant 
never been told to do pelvic floor exercises. It was never like a case of anybody taught teaching you things like that in school. And when I asked her, you know, are there exercises for men to be done? You never hear anything about that. Have, have, have you ever, as a man, have you ever been told to do those type of muscle exercises? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. But yeah, it's so important, isn't it? Yeah. It's really, really important. So I feel quite passionate about this, this subject for, for like a few reasons. I think it's been like, kind of said, you know, not talked about, it's been swept under the carpet for a bit. And um, I was diagnosed, uh, well, I guess it will be 17 years this, this year. Um, and nobody spoke about bladder problems. Uh, they made it sound like it was something that would just happen in progressive MS or, or you know, very later on in life. Um, but, but now I think people will mention it, you know, to people who are newly diagnosed. I was 29 when I was uh, newly diagnosed. I haven't had any children. So, you know, mention things like do your pelvic floor exercises would be really good because you often when you're newly diagnosed, you'll come and you will say, so, so what shall I do now? What, you know, I'm, I, you could think about starting medication and things, but what are the, some of these like things that you can do here and now? And doing pelvic floor exercises really seems like a really reasonable thing to say. I understand that you don't want to scare people for future, but it's also really, really important because you don't want to have bladder problems. Because as we have said, so many people struggle to live daily life, you know, day to day life uh, with getting out and about because of uh, bladder problems. Um. So I, I just think, you know, and also it's so common, not just in, in the MS population, but with in the, the you know, the, the, the outside world. Um, and just we just need to talk about it more. And some of these issues should be <laughs> normalized. It's like, you know, you get told to brush your teeth uh, because you don't want to have future problems with, <laughs> with your teeth. Even if you don't have any holes in your teeth, you go and brush your teeth. That's the same idea with kind of doing your pelvic floor exercises. Sorry, little rant over there. <laughs> no, I, I love that, Helena. It's good. It's good that you're passionate about this. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's what we need. We need some uh, normalisation in, in the wider community, don't we, about some of these issues. Actually, yeah. it's just your health, isn't it? You know, it's not a stigma around um, no. brushing your teeth, is there? For no, sake. it's so funny, isn't it? So, but, yeah. Because I do feel like, you know, one of these things, like I say, only when I was pregnant did they say something about it. And I... Okay, I will put my hands up. I did not do my pelvic floor exercises very well. And now I have been told that I have weak pelvic floor uh, uh, muscles and I have to do something about it. And that is one of the reasons why I've been having sort of some, some bladder issues. Um, I feel like what, I need a toilet more often than I, than I should. And uh, one of the things that I've been doing since talking to Grace, but is to try and train your train my bladder. It sounds like that, you know, is it that? film or, or books and I train your dragon or something <laughs> but I really try not to go to the toilet so much because I've been very much guilty of that kind of uh, just in case weeing you know, my mum would have said that you know go to the toilet before you go but then you you keep on going so every time if, if we were about to leave the house I go to the toilet and then I have to wait around for my kids because you know kids always take a long time then I go to the toilet again that might have just been 10 minutes later I don't really need to do that and that is not good for the bladder so I'm now trying very hard to only sort of go to the toilet when I need to uh, but not just go in case <laughs> yeah I know it's like when I was listening to Grace when she was saying about that bit about um the sort of just in case when you go when it's just in case i being a former teacher, I was always sending people, right, we're not going out to play time. You all need to go to the toilet for, and all that stuff, right? You know, go to the toilet before the lesson and all that. 
Um, so I'm sure I've been guilty of, of of sending people off to sort of train them up to do those those uh, just in case ways as well. But um, yeah, and I do that as well. Like now I'm trained, you know, trained myself. Right, I need to. I'm going out. I need to, you know, going in the car. I need to go mm. go to the toilet before I do that. So that's the change that I'm going to try and make yeah. as well. And also doing that, the you know that the um, as she was saying, like seeing how long you can kind of wait when you get the mm. urge um before going to the toilet because i do i go yeah this is probably too much information for this podcast but i tend to go a lot as well so mm. yeah i was thinking that but I, I drink lots of fluid as well throughout yeah. the day so i was wondering if from listening to us kind of was picking up that actually i need to do more to to um yeah. you know to train myself up as well and I think it's really important to talk about drinking as well, because you do hear sometimes that people sort of don't drink enough just because they're worried about wetting themselves or having problems. And obviously that's going to cause other bad things happening if you're dehydrated. So it's really important to to take up the fluid. But, you know, we were talking about work before um, and, and problems at work. That must have been quite tricky, though, being a te- when you were used to be a teacher, because you, you, you're not allowed to go to the to the toilet when you need to either are you in the same way as you tell the kids to sort of not go during lessons but if you're working as a teacher you can't just nip up to the loo either can you yeah i'm off see you later <laughs> you're in charge now <laughs> no, no i never did that if offsted are listening i never definitely did <laughs> no i didn't but uh yeah no so i yeah i also was thinking that when i was when i was listening mm. to grace was, i've got quite good at you know just um yeah, sort of training yourself up to yeah. not to go straight away but um since leaving the profession yeah I've definitely yeah uh, yeah as it's not something that I've been thinking about all the time no. it's only when you listen to an expert isn't it you think right yeah. uh, that's some good information maybe I should be training myself up and yeah. uh, preventing some of those like just in case times that you go to the toilet as well yeah, because I think teachers is certainly as the people that I've heard from that been talking about it, that you, especially that they've been struggling with their professions and and people who work in sh- on the shop in shop floors and sitting at the till, you know, and they they can't just stand up and go to the toilet either. They have to sort of make sure to clear it with their manager and their shift is over. So a lot of people that have those type of jobs will struggle with this. I mean, I'm you. At, at, we're very lucky in working in a place where we're working because I could be open with saying, well, actually, sorry, we need to <laughs> take a little break in this meeting because I need to go to the toilet and just go MS bladder and then and leave. But, but you know, not, not everybody's got that. But I feel like we've talked about reasonable adjustments in the past at the workplace. And I feel like the toilet issues should definitely be one of them. So, you know, again, important thing to 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 talk to maybe your hr department if that is an issue yeah absolutely and um, you know feel free to pass on any any of our information as well um from our website to sort of support you in making some of those uh, reasonable adjustments too with your employer absolutely that's a good idea helena yeah mm. now as grace also mentioned in the podcast um constipation can cause issues for your bladder as well so it feels kind of natural that the next podcast that we're going to do is uh, going to be talking about bowel problems uh, in ms Um, and we would uh, love your input on this uh, subject 
we're looking to have some personal stories on the website about people living with bowel issues and how you deal with them. When we did a call out for bladder problems, we got loads of fantastic stories and you can come go to the website now and have a have a look at them. We'll link to, to some in the show notes. And um, we feel like it would be great if we could uh, share some some stories on, on, on bowel issues as well. The stories can absolutely be anonymous. Um, so if you would like to share your story, please drop us an email on comms at mstrust.org.uk. Yeah, and in terms of getting in touch with us, if you do have any other questions about MS, you can get in contact with our helpline service. So we're available from Monday to Friday, apart from UK bank holidays, a.m. to 5 p.m. Outside of those hours, you can leave us a message as well, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Um, so you can go ahead and call our free confidential helpline. That's 08 zero 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 three two three eight three nine and we will of course link to that in the show notes as well if you'd rather not talk on the phone you know if you're one of those people who prefer to get in contact by email get in contact with our helpline team via ask at mstrust.org.uk and of course, we're also on social media. So if you'd like to talk to us there, you can head over to your preferred platform. Uh, we are on uh, Facebook, YouTube, X, TikTok and Instagram. Uh, you can find this podcast on Spotify, Google and Apple podcast and also on Amazon Music. Um, and you can also find the podcast uh, as a podcast on YouTube or as a video. Um, so um, if you like this podcast we would love it if you drop us a comment about it or, or a review uh we love to hear what you think about it and you know is this a subject that you can relate to maybe share some comments about that as well um and uh yeah so like we mentioned the next one is going to be about uh, bowel issues so uh, if you have any questions you can maybe pop those in the comments as well and now, Nick, I'm going to have to run off to the toilet, actually. <laughs> so that was a suitable way of ending this That's podcast. a fitting ending, eh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> See you next time. All right. Bye. 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 Bye.